Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz drummer Dave Mancini. He has most recently toured and performed as the drummer for the legendary trumpet player and former Tonight Show band leader Doc Severinsen. He also has toured with artists like Maynard Ferguson and the great Chuck Mangione. We caught up with him about his life and music, what's next, and so much more. Enjoy. It's great to catch up with you and... I'd like to start everything out before we get into your life and, and kind of peel back some layers. What's going on with you these days? Well, it's been, you know, after years and years of, you know, being on, on the road and traveling with, you know, you know, lots of various people years ago. I was at the Maynard Ferguson Band and several years with Doc Severinsen and other artists over the years and, um, you know, did symphony pops concerts and all over North America and, uh, Used to do a lot of clinics, educational stuff too, and uh, including in Olathe, Kansas, where I went to a high school there a couple times, and uh, and now you know everything. A few years, about I don't know when it was, four years ago or so, everything kind of got shut down, and um, as you know, and 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 there's been a been a kind of a transition for me, you know, and um, I I also do a lot of writing, a lot of composing, so I've been doing a lot of writing and composing and publishing a lot of my own music as well. And, um, but I'm also preparing for some future concerts. Some of this music will be for future concerts. So I've kind of been on a sabbatical for, from playing for the last probably four years. I haven't really three and a half, four years, whatever it is, you know, ever since the original shutdown. And, um, and so it's a transition. I'm preparing for some concerts and uh, some of which I'm writing a lot of music for, and some of which will be a series of concerts. You know, I'll get back into, uh, you know, playing jazz and playing other things as well, too, because a lot of some of the music I write is, is sort of classical influenced as well as Latin and jazz, because, um, you know, my background, in addition to being a jazz drummer, I was also a classical percussionist and played in symphony orchestras as well. So um, so all those influences come into my writing and my love and passion for Latin American music, too. But, um, you know, so one of the things, you know, one of my, 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 hopefully in the immediate future, one of my plans is to launch a series of concerts for not just for jazz, but for whoever would like to play. Um, that, you know, I thought about something when I lived in Florida. I lived in Naples, Florida for a while. And a couple times down there, I got to work with Iris Sullivan. Do you remember that name? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Iris great. So Ira originally was out of Chicago, and um, and so and Ira and Red Rodney. So I got so he was living down there, and and I got to play a couple times with him on on some of the for the local jet for the jazz societies and in that area, and and there were great concerts, really wonderful concerts, and and something that Ira did really opened my eyes and made me think about some things. Uh, you know, we would we would play, you know, great jazz standards and stuff and do a whole a wonderful concert. And at the end of the concert, he would say to the audience, no matter where, where it was, he even did this at the International Jazz Educators Conference, he said, now as we end this concert, he said, you know, we must always remember and not forget to thank the creator who originally gave us this music. Who gave us all? And he would do. He said, "I want to share this hymn with you that I learned when I was—I forget, five years old or whatever—in church." And he would play "Amazing Grace" at the end of every concert. And I thought, and he would say, "Now, you know, we have to thank, you know, 
God himself, the creator, who gave us all the music. And I thought that was really cool. So, And then I started thinking about that over the years and in the recent years. And I said, yeah, sometimes we forget where the music came from, you know. We play it and we give awards to each other, et cetera, et cetera. But we forget about who created it and where it came from. So I'm going to launch a series of concerts called For His Glory, you know, For the Glory of God, who who is the creator of all things, and whoever wants to play on the concert, it can be on the concert series, it could be jazz, it could be classical, it could be whatever they want to do that's high quality music will be on that series. And that's one of my main focuses, and that's when I will go back into playing again. And we'll play great jazz, we'll play all kinds of good music. But uh but we but the the series itself will be called for his glory. So that's my that's my, my next uh adventure, shall we say. So I love it. That's great. So let's go back to the beginnings. Where were you born and raised and how did jazz become your life? Well, um I was born in Rochester, New York, and right in the heart of the city, and then grew up in the in the town of East Arundacoit, um, where I went to high school and started uh studying drums at the age of eight. Uh, actually studying, you know, just percussion, snare drum, didn't get into drum set immediately, but um I was uh, um, studying, you know, at eight years old in the in the public school system, and this was in third grade. And then the the um, elementary school band director told my parents, you know, that I guess he felt I had some talent, and he said, you know, he really should get some some private lessons, not just what we can offer here in the school. So they took me over to Eastman School of Music in their what was then called the preparatory department. Now it's the community music school. And I was fortunate enough uh, to be able to study uh, with John Beck, who later became the professor of percussion at Eastman School of Music. And, but at that time, he was also teaching in the community division. So at eight years old, I started studying with John Beck and, and studied with him for the next 10 years until I went to college at Eastman. You know, and then, and then uh, you know, so stayed right on and went to school there. Now, the interesting thing is, John was also Steve Gadd's teacher, and Steve Gadd and I are from the same high school. So, so I've known Steve since I was 12 years old. So, um, and he was a major influence on me as well. You know, when I was in high school, um, the band, because Steve was several years older, so, but our high school band director contacted Steve and asked him if he would come over and sit in with the high school jazz band that he used to play with when he was a student and just demonstrate for us, which he did. He came over a few times. So, um, so you know, so he was an influence on me in, in, in the early years. And then and we had a, a terrific high school jazz band. You know, it was a great uh, jazz band program, which really, uh, you know, got me going in the drum set area. And I was still, of course, studying percussion, too, and playing the keyboards and all that stuff. But then, um, then when I went to Eastman, as a freshman, Chuck Mangione, who I ended up touring with later on, uh, starting when I was in college, Chuck was actually directing the jazz ensemble at the time. And that was uh, very inspiring to me. And I was playing in, in, in one of his jazz bands uh, that he directed while he was at the school. And later he came, uh, well, then eventually he left the school because he pursued his own career. He did the big Friends and Love concerts and 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 on and on and uh and he had asked me actually to play utility percussion with him on the road which I did many times 
And uh, while I was doing that, uh, in the early days, Steve Gadd was the drummer for those Chuck Mangione concerts, and I was playing utility percussion. So it was a great experience working with Steve, and it was almost, for me, it was like getting a, a free drum lesson every night, you know? So uh, it was so cool, you know, just listening to him. And uh, But at any rate, um, uh, so, and then when I was in college, uh, I met eventually Bill Dobbins came to Eastman School, a wonderful jazz pianist who just recently retired, and he came from Ohio, and um, and joined the faculty, and we put a we put a, a group together, and and he was very influential in, in really uh, getting me you know enthusiastic about about pursuing jazz because I was also pursuing the classical percussion side and playing in the orchestras, so. Um, I had aspirations of playing with a major symphony, you know, when I was in school because I enjoyed percussion and classical music as well. But um, uh, but Bill really and and that group really got me uh, inspired me to to keep pursuing you know the jazz drumming end of it, so which was great. And then you know eventually, uh, I mean, I was I played with some great, really great Dixieland bands back there uh, back then. One of the bands was led by Jack Mayhew who had been part of the Dukes of Dixieland. And if you look at the old recordings, some of the Dukes of Dixieland recordings, you'll you'll see Jack Mayhew playing clarinet. So there was some uh, great bands then, and then eventually that led to me joining the Maynard Ferguson band and going on the road. So that's a, 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 quick, a quick background, but I will tell you that when I was in high school, um, you know, one of the biggest influences on me was buddy rich i always loved listening to buddy and, and i got to hear his band live uh, a few times in rochester and um i mean i just you know su- such an inspiration i think his band influenced a lot of us and um you know and it's uh you know you know buddy's determined you know his his uh, uh energy and the way he would drive the band and and uh was just phenomenal and his and you know, and I worked with Doc Severinsen later on for several years on the road, and I saw the similarities, you know, Buddy and Doc, and in that whole generation, you know, Benny Goodman, Dorsey, uh, Tommy Dorsey, um, you know, the dedication, the hard work, you know, um, it was amazing. It was so inspiring. Uh, you know, these guys. I mean, they didn't give a hundred percent; they gave a hundred and fifty percent, and they expected you to do the same. So anyway, there's a little little background of how I got into it. Yeah, so what was the first concert, first live jazz show you ever saw that blew you away? The the first one that I ever saw? Um, yeah. I probably, I'd have to say it was the Buddy Rich Band in high school. You know, there, there was a place uh, uh, called the Top of the Plaza here in Rochester that brought in all kinds of jazz bands. I heard the Basie Band uh, up there. Um I think Butch Miles was playing drums with him at the time. I heard Buddy's band up there a couple of times. Uh, I can't. I don't remember if I heard Woody's band. I heard Dizzy Gillespie up there, and in fact, I think he had Mickey Roker with him on drums. And then I heard Maynard Ferguson's band there a couple of times, which was so cool because I would go up to hear Maynard's band, and he was, you know, you know, one of the people that I really admired. And 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 you know, and a number of years later, I found myself sitting in Maynard's band. So it was like it was so so cool. You know, one of the one of the bands I used to go hear. You know, and uh, 
and, and sort of idolized Maynard, if you will, and then all of a sudden I'm playing with the guy, you know. So that was that was pretty cool. But I think it was hearing the Buddy Rich Band live back in the late '60s was um, that was the first really inspiring live jazz concert I heard. So in all of the many interviews that I've done with musicians that have ever been around the orbit of Maynard Ferguson, they talk about what a master storyteller he was, how he would just get at the pew or get at the pulpit and everybody would listen to the stories. What was that like to be around? I mean, because you've been around a lot of legends. I mean, what do you learn from these people, from their stories and from their panache, and even, whether it's directly or by osmosis? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, and you know, because you know Maynard it was a legend. He's a one of a kind trumpet player, and um, you know, I've never heard another Maynard Ferguson anywhere. Um, and he played with some amazing people, and he had great stories. And Doc Severinsen had great stories. Um, and you know, it's uh, I, I think. Uh, you know the things that you know they talked about. Some of the people they played with. Oh, you know, here here was an interesting thing uh, that Maynard told me one time. He was talking about some of the drummers he had in his band, and one of the drummers was a guy named Frankie Dunlap, who was originally out of Buffalo. And um, and Frankie, I first got familiar with him through his recordings with Thelonious Monk. And uh, I thought Frankie was such an absolute musical drummer. In fact, I transcribed several of his drum solos because, to me, they were like percussion compositions. They were so musical. And uh, he did these uh, recordings on Riverside with Thelonious Monk years ago. Well, so Frankie was playing in uh, in Maynard's band. Now, what Maynard Ferguson, of course, you know, he had big band charts, so we had to read the charts. That's how we... You know, we learned them all. Eventually, you'd memorize the whole book because you were playing it night after night. But uh, initially, you had the charts. Well, what what Maynard didn't know is that Frankie didn't read. You know, he didn't read. He, he was so he just played by ear and uh, and played great, of course. But uh, and so, but he he had such great ears and such great uh, you know intuition that he would pick things up quickly and. Um, and so Maynard said, you know, he thought, wow, you know, Frankie's sounding great. And he never realized that Frankie wasn't reading the charts. And he said, one time Maynard, it might have been a rehearsal or something, he walked around and he was walking around the band and he happened to glance over at the music stand that Frankie had set up next to the, to the drums. And he said, it was a completely wrong chart. It wasn't even the chart they were playing. And he said, and he said he, that's when he realized that Frankie wasn't even reading. He was just hearing everything and playing it and after he heard it a couple times he just nailed it so that was uh that was that was really funny but you know but he played the stuff so well maynard never even knew that he wasn't reading the charts wow that's amazing that's amazing you know you've been at this for so long you clearly love what you do what has been kind of the key to your longevity what do you like the best about being a professional musician well i think I obviously, you know, love to play. I just enjoy, you know, playing and performing. And in fact, Doc Severinsen always used to say, he, he used to tell our road manager, he says, boy, Dave always looks like he's having so much fun out there. And, and of course, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, Doc said to us one night, he says, heck, if we're not going to have fun, what are we doing it for? But I'll tell you what one of the really cool things is, is, is not 
just you know the the fun that we have, but it's actually witnessing and experiencing the joy that the audience is getting from what we're doing, knowing that we're bringing you know this this in, this joy to them and um, you know to the audience. I think is one of the things that really keeps you going. You know that how much they appreciate what we're doing and and how much it's. Um, it's it's inspiring them and and you know getting them excited and just just adding some joy to their life. I I think that that's what I I used to say that the joy that I get is from seeing the joy that the audience is getting from the performance. You know the one thing you had mentioned up front was that you know because of COVID it kind of put the brakes on a lot of things. But I'm curious, you've had the chance to kind of delve into some projects and probably get off the road for the first time in a while. Was there a level of it that you were relieved to, to have that kind of a break because you've been running so hard for so long? Or how have you kind of put in perspective what we've lived through, you know, now that the world's kind of waking back up? Well, you know, I actually had, had decided even before, you know, the whole shutdown came, I had decided to taper off on my travel and road work. And I did that, you know, uh, a few years prior to all of this, you know, happening uh, shortly after my, my dad passed away. And I had been on the road for so long. And, I mean, I was traveling. There were times when I would be gone away from home over 200 days out of the year. And, uh, you know, I was at the airport, you know, 35, 37 weeks a year flying someplace. And it was so, you know, it was crazy because i go to the airport and all the skycaps knew me. Some of the people at the at the at the uh, counters knew me. The people at security knew me. I remember one of the sky caps saying to me, he "says Hey man, we see you every week, practically." You know, <laughs> and and I walked and I I would walk out, you know, downstairs um, after you, you 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 fly in, you go down to the baggage claim and you walk out the door. And I I remember one of the sky caps saying to me one time, he says, "Hey man, we'll see you next week." So I mean, <laughs> they were so used to it. So. Um, you know, but I did so much travel. I mean, I performed in all 50 states. I've been all across Canada. I've been to Europe years ago, went to Japan with Maynard Ferguson, South America, Mexico. And, and of course, the travel was great. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the concerts. But um, but as I said, you know, after my, my dad passed, you know, I was, you know, you start thinking about other things as well. And I was thinking about my mom being alone and uh and I'm the one who lived the closest to her cuz I lived right up the street so I I wanted to be around more I wanted to be home a little more and the other thing you know after a while you know is is as enjoyable as the travel is the airports do get old after a while I had walked around so many airports you know I mean I, there's some states that I probably travel to 30 40 times each and uh you know so I, I needed a break from all that. I needed the break from running to the airport all the time. But that break allowed me to pursue my other passion, which was composing, you know, and um, and, and writing, arranging, etc. And um, so, um, yes, I, I always love to play, and I, and I do miss playing to some point. But I'm okay with that now because I have this other creative outlet, and I know that I'll come back to composing. But I, I've said this to a few people. I said, you know, I could always play more concerts, more gigs, etc. But if I didn't, you know, write all this music down that's in my head and I didn't pursue this composing, I would always feel 
like something was left undone. So that's you know that's sort of you know what was going on in my mind. So you clearly love this thing that we all call jazz. So tell me, why do you love jazz? Well, you know, and 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 I and I should. Uh, say i should add to that that you know i also do love classical music and there's a lot of pop music i like and latin american music etc but jazz you know uh both the big band and small group was always at the top of my list um you know because of well you know the creative element i should say you know um it's uh i mean i i love uh playing in big bands but i think the small group jazz is is to me is is you know a quartet quintet whatever is 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 the ultimate in terms of creativity you know and um you have you have a lot more freedom in the small group than you do in the big band uh the big bands are fun i love playing in the big bands but i love the uh you know the the, the freedom you have in a small group um you know to uh to really express yourself and 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 be more spontaneous with it and and that's something as much as i love the classical music you know and i've i've played you know symphony pops concerts with most of the major orchestras in north america but it's it's a different animal so to speak you can't you can't take chances when you're doing that you know i like the small group environment because you can go out on the limb a little bit you know especially when you're playing with with great players you can uh you know you can uh you know, you can take a few more risks because, you, first of all, you're not responsible for a whole orchestra, and it's not going to throw people off. Everybody's on the same, you know, on the same plane with you. We're all of the same mindset, so it's it's great, you know, to be able to take those chances and be more expressive. And uh, so, anyway, and by the way, you know, talking, I got to tell you, tell you a funny story. So, because you were asking me about stories, I had the the, yeah. the great uh, fortune of playing. Uh, with uh, Dizzy Gillespie uh, one time, got to do a couple nights with him here in Rochester, and I used to go hear him play also at that great, uh, at that jazz venue that I told you about earlier where I heard Buddy Rich and, and the other bands. So anyway, so Dizzy came into town, and, and because he was good friends with Chuck Mangione for many years and Chuck's brother Gap, they had contacted Gap, uh, who's a, the pianist, about putting the, you know, together the band for Dizzy. So I had been working with Gap, so he asked me to play, and, um, and we had a great tenor player. Dizzy wanted another horn player there, and uh, and Dizzy I think was early in his early seventies at the time. So anyway, we were playing. Dizzy didn't really want to rehearse that much, you know, but he says, "Ah, oh, we'll play all tunes that everybody knows," and he only re- rehearsed two two tunes that were his. He, he rehearsed. I think we did Con Alma and then Night in Tunisia because he had a certain way he wanted to do it. So it was kind of funny, you know, in Night in Tunisia, here's a tune all of us have played many, many times, including the, the tenor sax player and all that. So we're, re- we're going through the tune, we're rehearsing it, so Dizzy could show us, you know, his particular arrangement. And we get, in th- we get to the spot where you're playing the little send-off for the solos, you know, the boo-doo-dee-doo-dee-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-do
and he played he played that little send off for him. And the tenor player says, "Wow!" I says, "I guess all these fake books are wrong. I just learned it from the guy who wrote it." You know. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Yeah. Um, you you know you've been around and you've been rather prolific in your life, and I know you're far from done. But at this point in your life, when you think about your legacy and what you've done, what do you hope people remember you by? Well, you know, uh, I think I think in the long run, you know, you know, it's funny. My dad always used to say, he says, the music you're writing, the music you're writing is going to be your your real legacy, which may be true. Um, but you know, the the, the players, you know. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've had the fortune of playing with a lot of great musicians, including great vocalists. I got to work with Rosemary Clooney years ago. Did a lot of work with the singer Maureen McGovern, who I love working with, and and quite a few others. And um, I think, you know, that uh, the thing that that I would hopefully be re- remembered for, you know, in terms of uh, with the musicians I've worked with, is that. I gave them what they wanted when they wanted it. I was able to provide exactly what they need to keep these artists comfortable and and make it a great uh, musical experience for them. You know, it's sort of like, I guess you could say, kind of the heart of a servant, so to speak. You know, I'm there to, to serve the other people on stage and make it comfortable for them and inspire them. I remember, you know, Maureen McGovern saying to me, the first time I, I had played with her a couple times, but then the first time that she invited me uh, to go out and you know and hired me for one of her gigs, the first time we played after after the concert, she said to me, "I felt very comfortable," and I said, "Well, I did my job. You know, that's what I was supposed to do: create that environment, musical environment or musical atmosphere for her to do what she does." And the same, you know, with everybody else, you know, for Doc Severinsen, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, to, to give them what they need. I used to call it delivering the goods, you know, deliver the goods, you know, give give them exactly what they need. Give the orchestras, when you're playing in the symphony orchestra, pop setting, give them what they need. Uh, I had a, a, a principal French horn player here in Rochester, New York, tell me one time, he says, you make us play better. And I, and I thought, well... I guess I'm doing my job because that's what I'm supposed to do is to make everybody else's job easier, you know, so that it's enjoyable for them, you know. So uh, I think that that's the thing, you know, and I think, you know, I think that's exactly, and I'll tell you who probably inspired that in me was Steve Gadd because that's what Steve does. He gives all the artists exactly what they want and what they need, and that's why they all want to work with him. You know, and you know, and Steve's a wonderful soloist too. But his whole thing is about, you know, playing for the music and making the music happening and giving them the right groove. You know, I that's why he played on so many recordings. You know, so yeah, that's well said, Dave. This has been wonderful. Thank you for opening up a door into your into your world, your your great lineage of jazz. I appreciate the stories and best of luck with this next venture in your life. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Joe, and I appreciate it, and thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans 
all that jazz. Thanks to Dave for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.